G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round three review edition, and we will be uh, scrutinising all the games in round three. And I'd like to be able to say all nine games, but uh, of course, much drama yesterday with the postponement of the Essendon Melbourne game. So eight games and the round uh, incompleted. When will it be completed? Well, who knows? We are back, unfortunately, to that situation where uh, a lot of things up in the air and a lot to be resolved, obviously, regarding Essendon, who's Connor McKenna, uh, very unfortunately tested positive to the coronavirus. When will that game be played? Uh, will a number of Essendon players uh, have to go into quarantine because they've had contact with McKenna and thus miss the next couple of games? all being resolved as we speak and, to be honest, probably over the next couple of days. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a world we live in, not much certainty, but uh, plenty of footy still to discuss, plenty of uh, drama and highlights and lowlights coming out of round three. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? I'm well, Roko. It was a, again, look, we probably are getting a little bit... Um, uh, sort of resilient to and, and expectant of surprise announcements. So I don't know how you heard it. I know you've always got your ear close to the... What's it, what, What's the ear close to? Noses are grindstones. Uh, ground. Ear to ground. the ground. Ear to the ground. Yes. And, I've, actually, I've actually been propelling myself with my head on the floor. Yes. So I actually heard it uh, via Fox Football as uh, coming up after this game is an announcement by Gil McLaughlin. And then it sort of filtered out that a player has tested positive to coronavirus, an AFL footballer. At that stage, no club, certainly no player named. So you're doing a bit of the Homer Simpson when Bart Simpson's at Camp Krusty. Don't be the boy, don't be the boy, don't be the boy. Like you don't want it to be your team. Uh, How did you feel when the announcement came through that it was Essendon? Uh, Well... (laughs) I've sort of got used to the territory, finding You can almost back it in these days that if there's some drama in football, yeah. it will involve the Essendon Football Club. And I think a lot of Bomber fans probably roll their eyes and go, of course it was one of our players. I mean, uh, that's not uh, wishing. And there were some rather tasteless jokes going around. And uh, we need to remember in all this that um, how serious the coronavirus is and uh, obviously wish Connor McKenna all the best. And we will get into that in any second. But before we do that, Finey, in a world of uncertainty, two things are certain, and they are the quality and service provided by this podcast sponsors. The burger that is, it's funny that you should mention sort of reliability and consistency and something that you can hang your hat on because these uncertain times have not only um, businesses in trouble, employees in trouble, but institutions in trouble. And I mean, I do mean that. When I say institutions, you know, uh, what's the future of football competitions? What's the future of uh, 
iconic products. There's some Australian companies really facing some big questions. So I am so pleased to say Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. They saw out at World War. They've seen out recessions previously. They're 81 years old this year or young, are seeing this out in true Andrew style with beautiful burgers, continued fantastic service, and quite honestly, I, I, you wouldn't think it, but they are almost, they're almost pandemic proof because they are such a solid institution. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the burger you loved before this all started is the burger you can get tomorrow. And when it comes to home renovations? Home renos. Poor old Dyson Heppel. He'll be at home a fair bit over the next few weeks. No worries. It's a beautiful house. I've seen it. It's a West Point property built by Nick Spartel. That's for Scott Pendlebury. Well, I reckon he could waltz around his house bouncing two footballs and never, ever drop either of them. He's that talented, and his house is that beautifully proportioned. It's like a bowling green in there. They're both West Point property builds, and they both are thanks to Nick Spartels. Back to you, Rowan Connolly. All right, we've got a lot to get through. Let's get stuck into it. On Footyology, wrap around. All right, well, ordinarily we would kick this off with the Thursday night game, but, uh, of course, extraordinary um, events over the weekend with the postponement of Essendon Melbourne, which was scheduled to be the eighth game on the weekend round three schedule. Uh, let's just talk about that first, finally, because it's obviously incredibly serious stuff and the ramifications, and people are prone to hyperbole, but the ramifications are huge. So the latest, as we understand, is that uh, Conor McKenna obviously will be out of action um, for at least a couple of games, and that's provided he remains asymptomatic, which very fortunately he is thus far. However... Um, and most people probably aware now that uh, he did attend a training group whilst he was positive. So some, uh, the whole club has been disinfected. Uh, the whole club has gone into isolation for now. Um, the AFL are talking probably as we speak now with health authorities about what has to be done and what sort of protocols and the length of quarantine, et cetera, et cetera. However, of most concern for Essendon, apart obviously from McKenna's wellbeing, is the ramifications for their next few games, not just the Melbourne game, because obviously if players have to go into quarantine, we are talking about them missing the next couple of games at least. Now, it has emerged um, that McKenna, when he was at training, whilst registering a positive status, which he was obviously unaware of at the time, um, he was in a training group which is believed to have included basically the club's entire defensive roster. We're talking about Mason Redman, Michael Hurley, Cale Hooker, Adam Saad, Jordan Ridley, Mac Guelphie, Marty Gleeson. They were part of McKenna's small training group. Now, you'd think uh, we're certainly not sort of beating this up to conclude that um, they will have to go into quarantine for a couple of weeks. Now, the other thing that's happened today is Andrew Dillon, the AFL legal counsel, he has stressed that under AFL rules, if a side has enough available players on its list to fill a team, a game goes ahead. Now, the ramifications are that this means Essendon's next two games are against Carlton 
and against Collingwood, Anzac Day, no less, the biggest game on the home and away calendar. Now, if Essendon go into both those games without those players I just mentioned, as well as McKenna, uh, they are going to get absolutely pantsed. So <laughs> the ramification, I mean, you know, Essendon, fortunately for them, started two and zip. But uh, this is just an incredible blow to where they are now. Not only the uncertainty, um, not only the fact that these guys in isolation won't be able to train properly, but more starkly, the fact that uh, an entire back line at this stage, you'd say, will be missing from those two games. So you can write them off well before the ball is bounced, I would suggest. What's your reaction to that? First of all, I wouldn't write them off. Uh, teams with their backs against the ball have a amazing history of performing, at least for one of those weeks, feats thought impossible. And I referred to Carlton when they took on, along when they took on Carlton in that uh, preliminary final, was it? With all of those... Yeah, uh, no, sec- second semi. Second yep. semi-final. With all of those withdrawals, they were given absolutely no chance and they did perform a miraculous feat and won the game. So I'm not saying that Essendon can't win, but the mechanics of it, of us, if it's deemed that the contact with, contact with Connor McKenna was solely, at least over a 15-minute period, to that defensive group, then Essendon may well have to play, but... There may be cross contamination that you know members of that group having contact with other people, coaches, etc. That could put the whole club out for a couple of weeks. That is a distinct possibility. Further to that, if that doesn't happen and they do play, certainly the AFL would surely not force them within that two week period or even twenty one day period from now to play Melbourne as well. That would be grossly unfair, wouldn't it? Uh, I would have thought so. Yes. So that has to be taken into account when you actually play that game. I've heard Melbourne referred to as the innocent party here. No, Essendon and Melbourne are both innocent parties. That's ridiculous to refer to them as the innocent party. Melbourne, though, do have a situation where they are in limbo. And that it needs to be resolved not only for the next two weeks, but also fixed during that game ASAP, because Melbourne deserve the right to have that knowledge. Yep, I agree entirely. Uh, there's really not much point us speculating about what may or may not happen, as we've seen countless times already in the past few months. No one really knows what's going to happen, even those vested with uh, more knowledge than the rest of us. So, Can I ask you one question, Robin? And... You can. If another club had a player report positive, does that just throw it into an almost impossible fixturing situation? Well... <laughs> I would, I would have thought so. I mean, we've got enough complications already with the hubs and, and players uh, of visiting teams in the hubs, you know, needing to get home at some stage. Um, and it's the broader ramifications of, you know, who they've had contact with. And by this stage, you know, there's every chance if a player tests positive, he may have played in a game against another club. So they then become involved. And then if he's been positive for however long does the... the team that side played previously come into the equation, we are treading on very thin ice. Uh, I think it's fair to say that. All right, we have got some actual games to discuss. So let's start with Thursday night and the Richmond Hawthorne clash at the MCG. All right, well, I say a week is a long time in footy. Uh, certainly was for the side that, I uh, wouldn't say humiliated, but beaten very comprehensively down at Geelong in round two. Well, 
they didn't just respond, they actually came back with an absolute vengeance. Talking, of course, about the Hawks, who had a very comfortable 32-point win over the reigning Premier Richmond, 11-5-71, to pretty miserable tally for the Tigers, 5-9-39. And uh, like so many games already this season, finally, this is a win set up in the first quarter, a power-packed first quarter by the Hawks, 5-3 to just one point. And uh, to be honest, Richmond seldom looked like coming back into the fray. It was still 32 points a different halftime. Uh, Hawthorne, if there was going to be any semblance of a Richmond comeback, they had to come out after halftime, all guns blazing. Instead, what happened was actually the opposite. It was Hawthorne that came out and banged on two quick goals and absolutely all over them. They were fantastic, the Hawks. I thought their pressure was terrific. They really forced uh, Richmond into error, continually bombing the ball, made them bomb the ball high into that 50 where Lynch and, and Rewalt really didn't have much of an opportunity, to be honest, such was the pressure put on by those Hawk midfielders further afield. And Hawthorne moved the ball brilliantly. They far faster ball movement than we'd seen from them against the Cats. The key to that, absolutely no doubt in my mind, Isaac Smith. I thought this is one of the best games I've seen Isaac play. He was fantastic on the wing. Kicked a beautiful goal too when it mattered early on. Uh, he provided plenty of run. Chad Wingard was terrific up forward with three goals. Definitely one of their best also. And Jager O'Meara, great game from him. 23 disposals and again, pivotal in that first quarter when the win was set up. And to his credit, a man who um, you know copped a lot of flack for an ordinary game at centre-half back in round two. That was big boy Ben McAvoy. And he played a ripper at centre-half back this week. And Tom Mitchell, forever the possession accumulator. It was a consummate performance by the Hawks. One of their best of the last couple of seasons, I thought. And the Tigers, well, without Dusty Martin. And uh, far be it from us to say they are a one-man team. They clearly are not. But they certainly missed him big time in this game. Their midfield just couldn't get going at all. Their forwards never got great delivery. Their back line was constantly put under pressure and they didn't cope with it very well at all. And after three games, the Tigers have one relatively uninspiring win, uh, one relatively uninspiring draw and a pretty ordinary loss. So it hasn't been a great start to the flag defence by the Tigers and the Hawks, finally, back in the ball game. Yeah, Richmond seemed to be both in terms of how they play individual matches and also how they approach the season. If you go by last year's blueprint as any guide, probably the team that is going to suffer most as we uh, look like we're sticking to shortened matches and we've certainly got a shortened season. They were, There was a, a point around round eight and nine last year where they were really looking very unlikely to make the top four. But this is a team that is ultra-professional and actually timed their run particularly well, making sure that their guns were not overexposed early on in the year. They can't play that game this year. I think it's um, all systems go from round one. You're only 17 matches. We're already three games in. Now, Richmond have problems or had certain issues beyond Dustin Martin. And I'll say this, Rowan, we don't really know how good or how much they suffer without Dustin, because he's been such a resilient player. There's not a big sample size to look at Richmond, Sons, Dustin Martin. What we do know is that Jonathan Segler, the week before, got towed up a little bit by Reece Stanley down at GMHBA Stadium, and 
Ivan Soldo does not seem to have... He's certainly a competitor. He's earnest in his endeavours, but he don't think he has it in him to inflict much offensive pain on a ruckman that maybe was potentially a bit of a weak point the week before. So Segler not only fights back, but I think Nankervis must come into that team ASAP. How long can you hold a position for a star footballer who's not getting the ball. So Daniel Rioli definitely becomes an issue for the Tigers as well. A few things to think about before facing the Saints. Uh, That's a game that they obviously should win, but I'll say this, that the way they're playing, they would be on guard against any team in the comp at the moment. Well, for me, the absolute number one priority for them has to be rediscovering that ferocious tackling pressure. Um, I was having a look at last year's stats. On the differentials, they were far and away the best tackling team of the season, uh, well above the number two ranked tackling side. On fr- on Thursday night, at half time, they had laid, believe it or not, just nine tackles. Now, that is just way, way too low. They ended up with 27, which is low anyway, but nine at half time. That is outrageous. You're not going to win too many games when you're not when you're tackling that infrequently. So And incredibly incredibly zero in the forward fifty. I mean it's unbelievable for a team that in the forward fifty was has been as frenetic as any side I've ever seen. Zero tackles. Yeah, pretty tough week ahead on the track for the Tigers, you suggest might be a case of uh, make sure you bring your mouth guards, fellas, that old trick. All right, there's enough on Thursday night. Let's talk about Friday. Friday night at Marvel Stadium and the Western Bulldogs, a very ordinary start to the season by them. Well, they bounced back well. Uh, It was the uh, perhaps the round of the bounce back and the Bulldogs fired Hawthorne's effort on Thursday night with a similarly inspiring turnaround against last year's runners-up, no less. So both last year's grand finalists being dispensed with on a Thursday and Friday evening. The Bulldogs, pretty comfortable 24-point victors, 8-9-57, defeating GWS 4-9-33. Now, we're not going to sugarcoat this game as a spectacle. It absolutely stunk. Uh, Just five goals between the two sides in a half. Having said that, the Bulldogs did what they needed to do, primarily rediscovered that ferocious Uh, attack on the ball, midfield particularly, and offering plenty of support to the previously beleaguered skipper Marcus Bontempelli. Uh, They rallied around their skipper this week. It was good to see. Tom Libertore coming back obviously made a huge difference. Jack McRae, terrific. And uh, another bloke who redeemed himself, Tim English, after copying, copying a couple of hammerings in the ruck. Uh, thought he was really, really good against a very able Ruckman in Sam Jacobs. Toby McLean coming in made a difference. Josh Dunkley was good. It was all those sort of usual suspects for the Bulldogs, plus Alex Keith, who was also terrific in defence. And the Giants, well, worries for them. They have been decidedly unimpressive now two weeks in a row. Uh, Harry Perryman was reasonable for them. In fact, the game's only multiple goal kicker. Uh, Cornelio battled away. Nick Haynes in defence. Haightley, young Haightley, is a prospect, no doubt about that. And he was okay, but not a lot else for them. Pretty insipid up forward. Never looked likely to get much from Cameron or or Finlayson. 
And really, uh, one goal at half time, the Giants, and uh, only four goals by the end of this game. Pretty dismal performance from them. And they are another side with a fair bit of thinking to do, Mark. Yeah, we understand these games are abbreviated as per any other games ever played at Colonial Stadium, but this was the lowest ever aggregate score at that ground, which generally has always played games in pristine condition, so never has less been scored, and never has there been more silliness attached to a game that really didn't have fizz. So I'm talking about the pushing, the argy-bargy that was a constant theme throughout the game. Well, you know what? Uh, It's one thing to play humpo-bumpo, it's another thing to back it up with some football, and People can say what they want about some of the biffo in the 80s and 90s, but it wasn't followed by something as insipid as what we saw on Friday night. As you said, the Bulldogs got the job done, and very pleasingly for uh, four players in particular, quite a bit of redemption. Tim English, you've mentioned, had a great game and was on the back of some pastings. Caleb Daniel and Jason Johannesson were both noticeably poor against St Kilda. In fact, Caleb Daniel so poor that you would have to question uh, whether or not the or the wisdom in a very short-statured player being part of a defensive setup. Yeah, he's good when he gets a ball in hand, but he looked exposed against St Kilda. Not so against GWS. The raison d'etre was there for all to see. He was very good in transferring the ball. Johannesson got some run and bounce back, which was fantastic. And, you know, look, uh, uh, the other player, I'm trying to think, there was another player who also uh, certainly improved his rating. It'll come to me shortly. Not so redemption for Lloyd and Bruce. Now, there's some worries up forward there because... Josh Bruce, oh, Alex Keith, who you mentioned, had certainly his best game so far for the Bulldogs. But Josh Bruce was recruited for a reason, and that's not happening yet. And Sam Lloyd, gee, he was good last year, wasn't he, Rowan, with so many um, so many poacher goals, a lot of goals from 50 metres out, and a lot of clean possession. And this year, he's looking a, a very, very meagre returns and very much a shadow of this play we saw last year. Now, for GWS, oh, boy. Look, they've got some firepower out. They seem to often have this problem. Josh Kelly didn't was a withdrawal from last week. Uh, we know how important Toby Green is. He was an injury from last week. And then you add the concussion of Lockie Whitfield, and they start to get pretty thin on the ground. That means other players need to lift, don't they? Unfortunately, yep. in their stead, you've got Zach Williams... What do you think of Zach Williams? What do you make of him? Because he is, he's, a, he's only ever one decision away from really raising the ire of his coach, and he's capable of some stupidity. I, I like him. The one thing that's straight, it's an easy criticism to level at a side that loses a couple, but it, it does make you wonder this, not only about the depth of talent in terms of those guys missing what's left, but again, and it's a, a similar story with the Bulldogs, or has been, that leadership. I don't sense, you know, like, okay, Phil Davis has handed in the captaincy. He's obviously still a leader. I think the likes of, of Haynes, uh, I think he he's very good in that role. But I reckon they, they lack a bit of on-field leadership among that sort of mid-tier of players. Are there enough of those players? I'm talking about the Finlaysons, perhaps. I, th- I, think, uh, Ho- I, think, like Hopper puts, I think Hopper puts his hand up for some leadership. Yep. Yeah, no, fair call. Fair call. But, I mean, this is this is a grand finalist we're talking about. I reckon – I'll say this about the Giants. I think the next few weeks um, will tell a fair tale about 
was last year's grand final uh, effort, not their effort in the grand final, but to reach it, was that the making of this club or will we come to look back on that as just a golden few weeks in September? Because remember, heading into that final series last year, they weren't exactly covering themselves in glory. So some serious questions to ask about the Giants, I think, and they'll be pretty desperate for a win this week. Just a couple of points to wrap up the Giants. Sam Jacobs, I think, might have to make way for Mumford. You know, Sam Jacobs can play footy, but we know he got superseded in Adelaide last year. And with... Mumford in the wings. He's going to play some games. I think it's time to unleash the mummy. And the other observation is, and I'm going to have to write, you know footballers write stuff on their wrists so they remember it during the game? Yep. Throughout the season, when I when I say who's out for GWS, Kelly, uh, obviously Toby Green and virtually Lockie Whitfield, you should never forget t- um, um, Tim Taranto is not playing. And yeah, he had such a brilliant year last year. He's a bull in the midfield. What a huge loss he was pre-season. Yeah, no, no, really good point. I guess he got injured, so it seems like so long ago yeah, now right. we've sort of forgotten. But no, good call. All right, that is enough on that game. Let's talk about Saturday. Let's head to Marvel Stadium Saturday afternoon and North Melbourne taking on Sydney. Uh, really good in the first two rounds of this season. The Roos, albeit a fair while apart, those two rounds, not so impressive in this one. And yet again, Sydney, and I did pretty sure I did say in our preview episode last Thursday, Finey, danger, danger, because Sydney, I thought, were pretty impressive against Essendon without getting the points, very nearly got the points. They'd beaten Adelaide in round one in Adelaide, which doesn't look so great now, admittedly, but... I thought it was a really game effort against the Bombers, missing obvious keys up forward, Franklin Reed, etc., and having to conjure a winning score. Well, they were even better in this game. And uh, frankly, they out-desperated, I know that's not a word, but I'm going with it, uh, North Melbourne, who has really had really impressed so far with their attack on the footy and their defensive qualities. Well, they got beaten at that own game, really, by the Swans. Um, the Roos got off to the better start with the first couple of goals. Perhaps a few North Melbourne players just uh, at that stage thought, yep, this is we're going to roll through this game. Well, it certainly wasn't the case. Uh, just about level a quarter time. The Swans, a goal up at half halftime. Uh, third quarter was where they really took hold with five goals, five to two, two. And that gave them a fairly commanding 27-point lead at the last change. And although they remained goalless in the last quarter, North couldn't bridge the gap. They did get to within 11 points, but it was a little misleading. Final scores, Swans 10-11-71, defeating the Roos 8-12-60. Two goals to Tom Papley. He was their only multiple. Three to Ben Brown for the Roos. Uh, But the big names came to play for the Swans. Kennedy, terrific midfield. Parker, terrific midfield. Uh, Isaac Heaney played a terrific game. Ollie Florent bobbed up. Jake Lloyd did his usual possession accumulation stuff. They were all really good. And uh, a bit of silk, too, uh, when it needed to be. Beautiful goal on the run from Jordan Dawson. Gee, he's a class act and a, a lovely kick of the footy. Um, an important goal from young James Rowbottom. I like the cut of his jib, too, Finey. Uh, Louis Taylor bobbing up with a goal in an important time. Um, Nick Blakey, ditto. And the Roos, well, probably the biggest setback for them was the last-minute withdrawal of Ben Cunnington, 
Uh, you like to think their midfield's got a bit more depth these days, but no doubt when you lose Cunnington, you are seriously depleted in terms of midfield stocks. And they struggle as a result. Goldstein, again, impressive in the ruck. Thought Jai Simpkin battled on hard. Aaron Hall showing some good signs for them. But really, not enough teammates jumping on board this time for the Roos. And they'll be pretty disappointed with that loss, I would have thought. Spot on. If you place an embargo on Tom Papley, you didn't name him in the goal kickers or in the best players. He was, he deserved to be in both. Oh. Uh, indeed, uh, very forgetful of me. Two to Papley, and uh, yeah, he is, a, he is a class act, Papley. Very good player. Ferocious bit of play towards the end of the game when North Melbourne, uh, with a bit of gumption, almost put their hands up to steal it. They got within 11 points, two minutes to go. The ball was kicked forward, and Papley won against two. Uh, ultimately, he actually got free kicked for holding the ball, but that was not before he tackled both of those two North Melbourne players, dispossessed them held the ball up and sweat, sweated time off the clock and allowed his team to set up defensively. So it's one of those rare situations. The ball goes forward, forward gives away a free kick and is the hero. Interesting game of football, wasn't it? North Melbourne couldn't have had a better start. Ben Brown, you know, we, we've got this dearth of spearheads. And Ben Brown, we know when he gets on a roll, he's very hard to stop. Had a beautiful start to the game. Kicked a lovely goal from... So not a you know, sort of 45, 50 degree angle, which is always a, a good one to uh, get your game rolling on. North Melbourne looked very good early. Zebul looked good early. Had a lot of ball in the first 10 minutes. And then Sydney got a, a foothold in the game. Kennedy, you mentioned. Uh, Parker, they're, they're very reliable. They're, it's not a lot of depth in that midfield, but there's certainly a couple of great season campaigners. Uh, interestingly, North Melbourne's forward line with Ben Brown sort of uh, held up or, or matched, well matched, became an issue. It really did. Taron Thomas is silk, but rarely seen, so he flashes in and out of the game. Aiden Bonner, who replaced Cunnington, we didn't really get a lot out of Aiden Bonner. And Dumont's the sort of player, he has got to kick every goal he lines up for because he doesn't get a lot of the ball. And he missed one, you know, he missed a couple rather than got him, which makes him problematic. Sorry, uh, who's that young kid that came in for the Sydney Swans? I think number 41 or 42. A tall up forward. He certainly provided them with a little bit. I hate Hayden McLean. McLean. Yeah. He's I, mobile. He's he, mobile. He was all right, wasn't he? He was. He was. So oh, all, they got some good kids, the Swans. Yeah, and I think Florent, I know uh, we've only had two games back since the break. He looks like he might be taking the next step. Where I ask, where's Callum Mills with his? Where is Callum Mills with his football? He's not quite the um, relevant player I thought he'd be at this stage. No, I think one of the legacies of the retirements of the likes of um, Jared McVeigh and Heath Grundy is that it's exposed people like Mills a little too much. I think he's occasionally had to play on oversized opponents. Um, you know, it's easy to forget that, isn't it, when you've got great uh, sort of role models playing alongside you and to guide you and to tell you where to run and, and when to drop off and when to pick up. Uh, and, look, he's been around the Cape for a while now. This is, what, his fifth season, I think. So, yeah, 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 fifth yep. season. Yes, um, But I still think you can't sort of uh, overestimate the impact losing that amount of experience as a collective from one part of the ground has. So... You know, that's another area where, I mean, this is a side in transition 
and they're going to have their setbacks. But the one thing, you know, not the one thing, but one thing they definitely have always had going for them is, and it's a cliche, but that team ethos, that uh, bloods culture. And uh, this was another good example, I think, of it holding them in very good stead. So really good win for them. It and was uh, perhaps they're not... Perhaps they're not going to be as big a easy beats as some people thought. Robin, can I All make? Right, can so I make, sorry, mate. Can I make a um a, a bit of a? I'd like to thumbs up Alir Alir. You know, he's he's an inter, at his best. He's just a beautiful reader of the game and an intercept mark. And I would say he is completely off this season. He's got no timing whatsoever. He's just not marking the ball, or he's not getting to the ball. It, it, at, at, at a position where he can mark it. Nevertheless, he's contributing. He's he's working hard, and there was a piece of play important in that last quarter where he had to run across the length of the ground to um, just lay a body on a North Melbourne player that would have been off to the races. So without his primo game operating, Alira Lear is still making a worthwhile contribution to the team. And a lot of players that cannot get their A game going go to pieces. So well done for a relatively inexperienced AFL footballer. Yep, no, fair call and good win, the Swans. Let's head across town now, Finey, to the Saturday Twilight fixture at the MCG. Well, this was an appetising matchup. Collingwood taking on St Kilda on uh, Saturday Twilight. Uh, we thought it would be a good test for the Saints, and it was. Uh, certainly wasn't one they passed, though, and perhaps a bit unfortunate to come up against Collingwood, who were in great nick, a lot, lot better, the Pies, than they had been in that draw against Richmond, even though the draw against Richmond, no shame in that. But uh, they were quicker. They were more dynamic. I thought their ball movement was a lot uh, sharper. They exploited the angles on the ground a bit more. Their forward setup looked terrific with Jaden Stevenson and Jamie Elliott and Brody Majacek. Uh, always threatening. Their midfield was prolific. Uh, Steel side bottom 31, Pendlebury 26 touches. Uh, and they really played the Saints on a break. Two bursts of four goals each, uh, one coming in the first quarter, one coming in the second quarter. Saw them going to half time with a very comfortable 38-point lead. And the second half, to be honest, and isn't this becoming a bit of a trend, was an absolute non-event. Two goals to Collingwood in the second half, one goal to St Kilda. He could have left home at half-time and not missed a trick. Final scores, Collingwood 12-9-81, defeating the Saints 5-7-37 by 44 points. Uh, I mentioned the midfield. Taylor Adams, terrific for the Pies well, as well. And I thought their defence was outstanding, finding. I thought crisp. Maynard and Howe all had particularly good games. Maynard in his 100th. Uh, terrific player he's become for them. Great team man too. And Brady Grundy, of course, in the ruck. Uh, look, he's a fine young ruckman, Rowan Marshall, but uh, he got taught a lesson in this game, I thought. Terrific effort by the Pies. Uh, why don't you have a chat about the Saints and how they went? Our expectations were high. Pleasing start, Butler getting a good goal off some forward line hustle. And, in fact, the ball was swept forward after that and looked very encouraging as Butler had another shot and missed. And from that point on, for that first half, I have never, ever felt so uncomfortable at turning the ball over. One team was getting the ball and in a panicked sort of state, 
playing on at all costs, almost as though as soon as Collingwood got those two early goals, I think Stevenson had a couple early, St Kilda, in their heart of hearts, knew that they were up against it. And they started playing football like it was the last five minutes of the game. No composure whatsoever. None. No, no, their, their skills, that was one thing that really struck me, their skills under pressure. And we saw it, didn't we, with things like the uh, Caulfield handballing to Billings and his handball being intercepted by Dugowie. Dugowie runs into an open goal. That sort of stuff was happening far too much. Yeah, we know that Alan Richardson, under, under Alan Richardson last year, St Kilda went from a very static team to the number one team to play on from uh, a mark or a free kick and, and basically became a frenetic team and that backed off and then when Brett Ratton took over, up went the numbers again. Now, that's okay to play like that in combination, in tandem with some level-headed footy because, quite frankly, if you're not handling the ball and you're being beaten in contested ball... You've got to take some heat out of the game. And they left the hot water tap on for that first half and got burnt. Decent players for St Kilda through that period. It's interesting to see who stood up. Look, I was uh, very bullish about Hunter Clark last week, but he got taught a lesson this week. He had steel side bottom for company for much of that first half and got uh, led a merry dance by one of the most underrated players in the competition. Better play... Well, I shouldn't criticise players. Uh, this was, quite frankly... If you told me what's the takeaway from the game, I'd say more about how impressive Collingwood were than St Kilda deficient, other than to say St Kilda are not in the same class as Collingwood. So that might come as a rude awakening for some dreamers who wanted uh, blue sky and no limits for St Kilda this year. They're not in the same class as Collingwood in any manner or form. I'm talking about from backline to forward line. Braden Maynard is a ripping player. Boy, talk about taking the heat out of the game with 50 metre passes. Isn't that the nice way to take a heat out of the game? Darcy Moore yeah. read, read the game beautifully. You've got John Noble played very well early on in the game when the game was there to be won. Some of his intercept and uh, kicking skills were superb. My check, what a what a perfect foil he is to the more spectacular Goey, Elliot, uh, to Goey, Elliot and Stevenson. So you've got two different teams. But for St Kilda, learn. Learn what went wrong. There were things that went wrong, but not anything that can't be addressed. I I just want to make one very quick point about the Pies. Now, they're a big uncontested possession team. They like to control the footy, deny the opposition and set things up. But so much comes down to the pressure that you're able to exert on the opposition and where you regain the ball. And against Richmond, a lot of that ball was won and used across half-back, and the progress forward was very slow. It was the absolute opposite on Saturday, I thought. They won a lot of that uh, ball forward to centre, and they were able to get uncontested possession forward to centre, and that's danger, danger for the side defending. And it was reflected in, uh, I think by half-time, I had six marks inside 50. Mid-sized forwards like Stevenson and Elliott with a couple of goals up each by half-time and that range of different size targets. And it's a fine line. You know, it can it can be not a lot of difference between a, you know, pedestrian sort of slow-moving, low-scoring performance that the Pies turned in in the draw to apparently a flick being uh, – a flick – a switch being flicked and then producing that fast attacking – freer scoring brand we saw against the Saints. and There is there totally is one big different. difference, mate. 
I was just going to say they look totally different styles. My point is that it often isn't a lot that's been tweaked to produce that difference in styles. No, nothing was tweaked, I don't think. Very hard to play that brand of football as well in heavy dew. You know, with the slippery ball and that sort of sliding, greasy conditions, it's so different to playing it, especially when that final kick into the forward line is to a searching lead or a one-on-one to advantage. So Majacek or Stevenson, uh, that greasy ball goes through their hands and you lose the scoring opportunity and you've got the turnover on your hands. But fair play to them. Under under lovely football conditions, they are masterful. They really are masterful. I've got to say that. All right. Uh, well done, the Pies, and uh, another good win to them. Time to check out the Saturday evening fair. Let's head to the Gabba. Brisbane taking on West Coast. Shocking performance by the Eagles uh, in their second round. Shock loss to the Gold Coast. How are they going to respond in this uh, newfangled hub existence uh, they've been living out? Well, the answer was not that well because they went down again, not as insipidly this week, but still fairly emphatically in the end. Brisbane running out 30-point winners, 10 goals, 14 74, defeating the Eagles, six goals, eight, 44. Uh, look, they did lead at half time narrowly the Eagles, so uh, certainly competitive in that half. But after half time, the Lions definitely took over. 5-3 to just two goals in the third term gave them a handy, in difficult conditions, 17-point lead. And then another 3-5 in the final term, the Eagles held to just one goal, four So three goals versus eight in the second half, and uh, that's where Brisbane did the damage. Three goals to Jared Berry, two goals to Lockie Neal, who was absolutely outstanding for the Lions. What a pickup he has been. Fantastic performer. For the Eagles, three goals to Liam Ryan, singles the rest, Darling, Nat Nui and Kennedy. And uh, here's probably a reflection of how poor they were in the uh, AFL's official best. Just three names listed for the Eagles. Nat Nui, Gaff, Ryan. they got some issues up there. Jeremy McGovern uh, out suspended, got injured playing in a practice game. Uh, they clearly haven't settled into uh, the hub arrangement very well at all. Was always likely to be a factor, but perhaps it's going to prove to be a bigger factor than we thought. And for Brisbane, well, they're back in town. Uh, Certainly unimpressive in that round one defeat against Hawthorne back in March, but um, managed to do enough to beat Fremantle in round two. And I thought that was a, you know, most people would say it was a fairly unimpressive win, but I thought Fremantle were pretty good value, actually. So maybe that win was better than people first thought. And uh, this performance, I thought, built on that. Gee, they've got some attacking guns out there. Uh, Neil finishing up with 32 touches for them. Hugh McLuggage, 26 disposals. Jared Lyons, 25 disposals. Uh, Cam Ellis-Yolman, who was a late in for the injured Dane Zorko, he did pretty well. Uh, Daniel Rich off halfback. Grant Birchall providing that leadership that Luke Hodge used to. Uh, they've got plenty of tricks up the sleeve, Brisbane, and they've got a wonderful coach in Chris Fagan, who they're all playing for. So they're in a good place. Two wins out of three now, playing uh, uh, one of the hub teams, of course, but uh, playing them from home. So uh, it gives them 
perhaps even a bigger advantage than they may have otherwise had. And the Eagles, well, they need to get a wriggle on. One round one pretty well, but uh, disaster the last fortnight. And uh, they will certainly be having a very good look at um, how they've tackled preparation for these games whilst they've been resident on the Gold Coast. Because whatever they're doing, Finey, it clearly isn't working at the moment. No, they... Look, it was a hard contract sending them all the way across from Perth to that Brisbane Gold Coast hub, but they're a professional team. And quite frankly, you know, I mean, your games against Gold Coast and Brisbane, you'd expect at least one win there, wouldn't you? Jared Berry was fantastic. Slightly controversial free kick prior to three-quarter time where they were able to establish that, that lead. Nevertheless, that free kick was followed up by a couple of strong marks. McInerney took one and they got that three-goal break. As you said, Yolman came in for Zorko, and Zorko is a loss. That just allowed Lions to step up, and of course the former Gold Coast player has a home at Brisbane up the road, and he's made good use of it, as he did when he left Adelaide for Gold Coast. He's a bit of a survivor. Reminds me a bit of Adrian Fletcher. Just his ability to survive in football and find the ball and strong-bodied. You know, Fletch played for four clubs, and there's a bit of a question mark on how did that happen because he could play and I reckon this guy's the same from the same cut from the same cloth you know, I've got to name some West Coast players that must surely be in doubt Jack Redden was a real success story has been since he left Brisbane he's I don't reckon he's contributed a lot this year he was very poor against his old team so they, they need to uh, have a look there at least uh, Patrick Shelley he might be fast but I don't think he's long for this, I don't think he's long for this Jeez, team quick. yeah yeah, he's quick, though. Yeah, he'll be quickly out of the side if he keeps playing like that. Cripps has not had a couple of good weeks. He looks bad when they lose, doesn't he, Cripps? Yeah, well, he, he looks bad when they lose. And um, uh, no, I won't talk about his likeness. Go on. Yeah, yeah. You like these were some porno star, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Tom, By- Tom Byron. Uh, Tim Kelly, look, again, what he does is good. And he was good against Gold Coast. So you, 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 no criticism of. Kelly, you'd like him to get a little bit more of the ball. Shuey, geez, been pretty lame, hasn't he? Yeah, not great. So there's room for improvement. I think I, I, I'm. You go through the list of their name players. Nat Nui's been outstanding, and he feasted on Archie Smith. No surprise there. You have a look at some of their other name players. Well, I, I, I would suggest that, and he can't do it. I, I'd suggest Adam Simpson could. 13 or 14 players under the microscope this week. That's how many have shown no form since coming over from the West. Obviously, he's not making that many changes, but surely two or three. And a big Well, how many actually, that's a good question though. How many players did they take over from the West? Do you take the list? I don't know. I, I, I would have thought you'd got to take the list if it's a hub. You're going there for that long. Surely you take the lot. Let's hope that they've got that full list, Rowan, because uh, they'll be exploring all options for the next game. Yep, flashpoint for the Eagles looming even after only three rounds. All right, uh, we head back to Victoria now and another Saturday night game. Not another, we haven't had one yet. (laughs) Saturday night game down at the Cattery. Okay, well, this is certainly uh, upset of the round status, I would venture, and an absolute thriller it was in the finish. Didn't think it was going to be, but... um, the side who had been favoured uh, and for most of this game were pretty dire, they came rattling home against a team 
that had given everything and been fantastic but was absolutely spent at the end. We're talking, of course, about Carlton's uh, thrilling two-point victory over the Cats, 12 goals, 7-79, defeating Geelong, 11-7-77. Geelong almost retrieving what at one stage was a 42-point deficit. And, boy, did they have their chances, Finey. We had... Uh, a grind, Myers. Oh, Oh, well, Mitch Duncan missed when he should have kicked. Brian Myers stupidly taking the advantage when a free kick had been awarded mm. what, 20 metres out. That is, that's and, cardinal. Uh, it is. And then uh, Gary Ablett, almost inexplicably for him. How far out was he? About 15, 20? Played on. I believe on. he missed that. Yep. And then what will, without a doubt, remain the biggest brain fart of season 2020 in the third quarter, Tom Hawkins, a long bomb for the Cats, going through the goals, up leaps Asava Radagalia on the goal line to <laughs> double fist the ball back into play. I, I was just going, did I just see that? That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. What on earth was he doing? Anyway, uh, look, Full points to Blues. They were fantastic early on in this game. Five goals to one in the first quarter. Another four in the second term. Uh, maintained and built on that lead. Like I said, 42 points up. Uh, but just had nothing left in the tank in the last quarter. Could only add one behind while the Cats rattled on. Well, five goals straight. Um, but some really uh, gettable opportunities missed. In the end, two goals to Hawkins, two to Rowan and singles the rest. Uh, for the Blues, two to Eddie Betts. Boy, did he have some critical touches there right at the finish. Uh, two goals to Levi Casbolt, fantastic contested marquees. Two goals to Patrick Cripps, magnificent early. Two to Mitch McGovern, played his role. And two to Mark Murphy. Now, just a, a quick uh, note on that first quarter. They just dominated the Blues. Uh, 15 inside 50s to eight in that first term. Uh, Sam Gibbons, really impressive. He had nine touches in that first quarter. Cripps and Doherty leading from the front, the co-captains. Um, they were terrific early on the Blues. And, uh, look, I wouldn't say it would have been robbery had they not won the game. But, gee, they would have been stiff because they absolutely deserve to win this game. And in the end, they did a fantastic uh, momentum-building victory for Carlton and may prove in the context of the season to be very important. What say you? Could not have been more impressed with Jack Martin, who I've never really pictured as a serious midfielder in terms of playing there from you know, stoppages after a goal. What did you make of his game? Oh, that, to me, is more Jack Martin than I expected. Yeah, his first game against Richmond was very good, but I think that's what we knew he was capable of. This took him to a place I didn't know he, he belonged, let alone could flourish. Well, the one word comes to mind, Fonny, is fibre. I thought he showed welcome fibre in his game. Impressive. I thought, well, <laughs> but that thing happened with the Sava Radigalia. Geelong were really well behind. Yeah. Did you... Well, it's cost them a game. I'm it's saying, but did you, did you think to yourself, I, I don't know whether the commentator said it, I was sort of with a group of people, um, gee, tongue-in-cheek, I hope they don't get within a goal by the time the final siren goes because that guy has just done the dumbest thing I've ever seen on a football field. Well, funnily enough, they, they were starting to create opportunities and, and Tomahawk had a couple of them 
And it was a really, you know, it was a long bomb. It was a really good roost. And I just thought, you know, if they're able to sneak one or two, they might be a silly chance. And no, I didn't say that will cost them a game. But I thought, well, you've got no chance of winning a game if you're, <laughs> you're defending your own goals. Um, yeah. Did he think he was between the points? Did he confuse what end he was at? I don't know. Oh, look, I haven't seen him quoted on it, to be honest. I, I should have gone looking for that, but maybe he just scurried away from the media after the game. He had a he had a poor night. Like, I like him. He's a great athletic specimen, but he had a poor night. Gee, it's, in fact, to his due, he was, he was pretty um, – he loomed large in that last quarter fight back. He seemed to be – amongst most of the major plays, but he just had no touch, you know, and it was there was a period there and that was in the middle of it where everything he did just turned to, you know, what. So, yeah, unfortunate night for him. But, yeah, look, great performance for Blues. And it's when, when they play games like this, you know, you can see a future for them, some real yeah, momentum, I think. I'd, I'd be playing Jordan Clark before Jack Stephen at this stage on what I saw. He battled. Yeah, no, he battled. But, I mean, you've got, you know, he's got to get some game time under his belt. He's not going to get that if you're not playing it. Yeah, that's true. The just last observation in the game, you know, we love Patrick Cripps as a footballer and he's a fantastic player. He got some support. You quite rightly pointed out Gibbons, Martin. Uh, I think it's a really encouraging game for Carlton because some of that support came farther afield than, say, from Mark Murphy or from Ed Curnow which gives them a a few more options in building a midfield around him, which they sorely need to do. Yeah, no, no. I, I think, look, it, it's, you know, they'll have their bad nights. Um, have they been that bad this season? I mean, they, they pushed Richmond pretty close in round one. Um, you know, they, a win, any win at Geelong is a great win. Oh, it's a great win. The, un, the only question is, why can't they play four quarters and why is the quarter or two they don't play so bad? Yeah, well, it's true. But, I mean, uh, what is interesting is during the week it had been pointed out that under David Teague their starts had been habitually poor. I think they'd been involved in eight games under Teague in which they'd found themselves at least 30 points yeah, down, right. I think, before half time. Yeah. Uh, but they'd managed to come back and, I think, uh, win three of them. So, um, and, well... Have a look at the first quarter scores. They certainly attended to those slow starts this week and it won them the game. So maybe it's a, a valuable lesson learned. Anyway, well done, Blues. Very well um, done. On, on the board with four points, their first of the season. All right, that is it for Saturday. Let's turn our attention to Sunday. Well, this game was interesting before it started with Gold Coast having lost 19 in a row, of course, upsetting the Eagles last week. And going into a game favourite, a novel experience for them, up against uh, an Adelaide that have been pretty hapless in that showdown, smashing at the hands of Port Adelaide. Were they going to turn up and uh, show something a bit better? Well, the answer was definitive. And unfortunately for Crows fans, it was a no. But let's not focus on them. Let's focus on Gold Coast because they were terrific again today, Finey, and running out handsome 53-point winners in the finish, 12 goals, 10-82, defeating the Crows, 4-5-29. And I tell you what, even that score flatters to deceive because at three-quarter time, they were stuck on one goal four. And if this defeat doesn't represent one of the lowest points in Adelaide's history, I will eat my hat. It is still incredible to me, finally, that 
it is two and a half seasons. Well, in fact, in seasonal terms, it's not even two and a half since Adelaide went into a grand final as a reasonably warm favourite. And from that uh, horrible day for them, they have absolutely combusted, not just as a football team, but as a club. And this is the worrying thing for me about them. I am talking about them. I shouldn't be. I'll just say this. They look like a very, very spiritless bunch in complete contrast to their conquerors, who were fantastic. And allow me to join that uh, enormous size bandwagon building around Matt Rowell. Boy, he was terrific again today. In fact, I was amazed at the end of the game to look and see that he'd actually only, well, only finished with 20 possessions. But, geez, it felt like 30, such was the impact he had on the game. Uh, he landed 10 tackles, second most on the ground. He won important clearances. He kicked two great goals. Uh, he's got that strong body. He is a bull. He is a midfield bull. And I can see another sort of Patrick Cripps trajectory looming with Raoul. Um, and he looks so terrific after just three AFL games. Clear best on ground again for me. That could be six Brownlow votes in a fortnight for him. But they were impressive all over the ground, Finey. Three goals to uh, Ben King in attack. Really strong marking target. He's mobile. Darcy McPherson's been a great player for the Suns and he was terrific again today. There's not as much reliance now on Alex Sexton, which I think he's enjoying. I thought he was pretty good for him. Jared Witts, uh, now co-captain with David Swallow. He's been terrific for them in the ruck and absolutely dominated that position again today. Lockie Weller, good pickup and was good for them. Took Miller probably doesn't get enough plaudits. He's been a real... Uh, workhorse in a side routinely beaten and uh, starting, well, last couple of weeks at least, he sort of reaped the awards of awards, rewards of hanging in there and doing the hard yards. And they were just terrific all over the ground in defence. Really impressed with Charlie Ballard, Sam Collins, uh, another youngster, Connor Buderick, I think, or Butterick. Um, he looks really likely. Um, you know, the, the positives were popping up everywhere and the small crowd uh boy they had a, a day out it was just fantastic to see them rewarded after all those years of routinely getting thumped week after week after week well the other mob well like i said this has got to be close to their lowest ever ebb i was looking for guilty parties when they walked off the ground at half time with just one two beside their name well i know he's a favorite whipping boy of yours finally but tex walker Lifted a bit after halftime, but he'd had just three touches in the entire first half. Josh Kelly, uh, not Josh Kelly, sorry, Jake Kelly had had only two touches to halftime. Rory Laird, normally such a reliable performer for them, he had a bit of a nightmare in this game, fumbly and just couldn't seem to do the right thing. They lost Rory Atkins to concussion early in the piece. Uh, Brad Crouch got a whack over the eye and that probably compromised him. Um, you know, look, Sloan dug in when he had to, Crouch dug in. But there's just not enough support for the senior players of that club now, Finey. And you're really seeing it. You look down their lineup now too, and there's not many household names anymore. This is Adelaide definitely rebuilding. We knew that was going to be the case. But, boy, they need more from what seniority they do have than they're getting so far. They are in a world of hurt and uh, pretty hard to see how they're going to emerge from it. Right now, they would have to be favourite for the wooden spoon, I would have thought. You said Crouch, you know, got a bit of a knock, so 
played okay. That's actually a really good assessment because I reckon between them, Brad and Matt Crouch are about effective as one really good midfielder. They get the ball, but they just, I don't know, a lot of that, a lot of their possession is in close, but it stays in close. So I don't think they're real line breakers. Taylor Walker, well, you know, they've had to come over to the Gold Coast hub. And when you go to Gold Coast on a holiday, you tend to pack everything, don't you? The suitcase almost pops open and you probably take two towels too many and you end up leaving one or two on the beach. You know what, Taylor Walker? Leave him on the beach. Oh, there's no future for him. I mean, at his best, he shows something in one of the quarters later on, maybe in the game. I'd I, I, I bear no malice towards him. And at his best, he was a long-kicking, um, very tall half-forward flanker who didn't like contested marks. But he kicked a few goals. But now, honestly, I mean, really, there's no... I don't think there's a spot for him. Um, Chase Jones... Chase Shadows. That, that actually, he should change his surname. Boy, was he poor. Easy to pick out holes in their lineup. Tom Lynch, ever since he got crook last year, not quite the player he was, but maybe that's symptomatic of being part of a lesser lineup. I thought Luke Brown did all right, actually, for them, and Tom Dode. There's not much to say about Adelaide other than internally, externally, on the field, off the field, in the press, in private, they're going shit house. Yep, no, fairly, uh, fairly succinct and damning oh, assessment. You know who's not a bad player, Seedsman. I, he's been around a long time, came from Collingwood. I, I don't mind the cut of his jib, actually. All right, well, maybe they can pick up a whole team of Seedsmans. All right, uh, you wouldn't want to be... Seedsmen. You, you, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be around the Crows uh, over the next week. Uh, you imagine what the media blowtorch is going to be like over there in the next few days. All right, well, that was the first leg of a double header at Metricon Stadium. The first double header league footy has seen since Anzac Day 1986, finally, and I know you remember this, when uh, Melbourne played Sydney and Geelong played North Melbourne. One game at 2 o'clock, one game at 5 o'clock. Well, I don't know how they cleaned it up in between games that day, but uh, they certainly left a bit more space between these two games. So that was the first leg. Let's talk about the second week. And round three finished off late indeed on Sunday evening. In fact, around the 10.30 mark, not your traditional finish time for a round of footy. And the unlikely location, perhaps, of the Gold Coast, considering the competing sides were Fremantle and Port Adelaide. That's just life in the COVID era. But certainly another good win to the power. That makes it three from three. And justifiably on top of the ladder, 29 point victors over the Dockers, 10 goals, 10, 70, defeating Freo, 6, 5, 41, two goals each to Charlie Dixon and Justin Westhoff. For Freo, their only multiple goal kicker, Matt Tabiner. Ollie Wines, terrific for Port with 25 touches in his first game of the season. Travis Bokes, solid indeed with 26. Rockcliffe and Ebert, good contributors. And uh, one surprise packet might be worth mentioning, Trent McKenzie, who uh, played a rare game for Power in his second season there, but uh, I thought performed quite well um, up on his old home ground. Maybe familiarity had something to do with that. Uh, certainly an interesting start to this game, finally. Frio, um, plenty of life in that first quarter. Tabiner was lively. Travis Collier kicked one. 
They're up and about. In fact, they led by a goal at quarter time. But from there, Port absolutely took over. They kicked uh, five goals, four to no score in the second term. And in, indeed, by the time Brad Ebert kicked the fifth goal in that burst, not only did they lead by 28 points after having trailed at quarter time, the inside 50s for that uh, period of play, 22 to nothing. And in fact, in the second and third quarters, the inside 50s, 37 to Port, just nine inside 50s in a couple of quarters for the Dockers. Um, so in the end, a pretty conclusive win for Port. And uh, they certainly looked the goods. What do you make of them? Well, it, the game really was a one-quarter game in terms of the scoreboard. And as you said, the absolute domination in that second quarter. Ollie Wines is a big story, isn't he? Because that midfield needs that grunt and it got that grunt. And that, that makes Port look all of a sudden a more formidable team. The downside for them is uh, what looks like a hamstring injury to Xavier Dersma. Yeah, it looks so like we'll, a serious one. Yeah, that's right. So we'll wait and see. Sam Sturt also, unfortunately, for Fremantle, uh, injured an ankle. So a couple of young guns not finishing off the game. You mentioned this earlier, and it's now, unfortunately, a little bit symptomatic of season 2020. When teams are in control of the game, say, halfway through the third quarter, the game seems to end. It just peters out to nothing. Now, that is bad viewing. It's worse football than some of the football that we've come to be contemptuous of in terms of keepings off because it really is junk time extended out to a quarter and a half. What a pity. What a pity these current philosophy is not to put a team to the sword or to finish a game off in fine style, but to preserve yourself for the next week. Well, the other, the more perverse um, point about this one was that uh, the second quarter, uh, you know, the, the first half was pretty entertaining, but all the scoring was done in that second quarter when the rain was absolutely pelting down. It was so heavy at one stage, it was hard to actually see the play. And then it cleared up. And in the second half, the conditions were considerably better. Uh, 12 goals kicked in the first half, only four goals kicked in the second. It is absolutely a trend. I'd love to see, uh, in fact, I will go and add them up myself and see first half goals this season compared to second half goals. And I'll uh, be interested to see what the, what the fitness guys and what the coaches say. Is it tactics? Is it conditioning? What is it? But you're quite right, aesthetically, it's not very pleasing. Um, just a word on Frio, because I've felt in their first two games, look, they could easily have won either of their first two games, only went down by a kick to both Essendon and Brisbane. Certainly uh, not as impressive in this one, but they, they've had their moments and they, there were patches in that first quarter where they looked capable indeed. I, I still tend to think they're not too far away and that they will cause... Uh, more than a few sides, some grief this year. Did they impress you at all? Or do you still think they're too dependent on the likes of Fife and Walters? But to me, it's a two-and-a-half-man band almost. Uh, Luke Ryan's a good player. I don't want to dismiss him from the equation. But how reliant are they on Walters and Fife? And when I say reliant on them, because it looks like the players turn to them when uh, they are in dire straits. They're good players early in the game, but they become almost the only solution to any problems in the second half of the game. But I would say this, that they've also got some young players who 
seemed to be promising. I mean, not Bewley's best game. And look, they've got they've, their philosophy is not dissimilar to Ports, but they have not reaped the instant harvest of that fantastic return from Rosie, from Butters, from Dersma. That has been like the instant hit that Port needed. I reckon Port's going to change the philosophy of a lot of clubs, Rowan, because they have shown in one well-calculated draft that you can turn the fortunes of a club around. They were flagging, and now they're flagging in a very different way. I'm not saying they're going to win the flag, but they are on top of the ladder. All right, so one word or a couple of word answer. Are you convinced enough already that they are a potential, at least a potential top four team? Potential top four? I'm, I'm willing to pen them in the eighth. And I, I didn't have them there at the start of the year. Things can go wrong. But they look, Dersma's a lot because a loss because don't they derive so much energy and and um, it spreads throughout the team from their young brigade. Yep, yep. Look, I'm I'm not prepared to put them in the eight yet. I still think it's a touch too early. However, they couldn't have been more impressive and absolutely have surprised many people, including the both of us. All and right, just, just one word. Um, Daniel Motlop to me had Stephen Motlop. Had, uh, Stephen Motlop, sorry, had um, he had almost had some final warnings on him coming into this season. I, mm. I, I don't think he had got many credits left in the bank. He's been good. He has been good so far. Yep, one of many contributors to the power cause. All right, that is round three, done and dusted. Uh, let's kick back a bit, Finey, and uh, talk about matters non-sporting in life hacks. <laughs> Life Hacks, Building a Better World. All right, uh, we're changing tack here. I've got a few non-sporty life hacks this week, Finey, and I want to kick us off with a favourite target of um, opprobrium, but surpassed himself today. And I speak, of course, to the US president, who at a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just went completely barking mad. Yes, I hear you say, again. Uh, first of all, he came out with this pearl of a quote about coronavirus testing. He said, when you do testing to that extent, you're going to find more people. You're going to find more cases. So I said to my people, slow the testing down, please. Because in Donald Trump's feeble mind, if you record lower figures, even if it's because you're not testing much, that is a good result. It's not actually about protecting human lives. It's about coming up with a number that is lower than some other country's number because you haven't tested enough. And what says most about him, Finey, is that it never even occurred to him that that was actually a bad thing for him to say in PR terms. The other great moment from this rally was he'd been copying a bit of criticism about his um, uh, physical faculties after uh, appearing to stumble down a ramp or take very slow progress down a ramp about a week ago and then someone noted he'd been drinking a glass of water with two hands. So he made a big production of picking up his glass of water at the speaker lectern with one hand, drinking it with a flourish in one hand and then throwing the glass away. Um, and there's, I've got in front of me a, a tweet, someone uh, seriously with saying, greatest president ever, and underneath it is a picture, Trump drinks water with one hand. And if you have a look at the if you have a look at the footage of this, the crowd when he does it goes absolutely barking 
crazy. They are just hollering for Donald Trump after the incredible one-hand drinking trick. So my only comment on that is they're clearly setting a pretty low bar fulfilling the role of US president if you can send a crowd crazy eight bongers because you pick up and drink from a glass with one hand. All right, your turn. I've got to tell you, Rowan, despite this weekly degeneration and seemingly plumbing new depths every time there's a microphone in front of him, I hope you're prepared for his re-election later on in the year. No, no, it's over for Trump. The polls have gone. No, 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 he won't. You'll see. And I'm not. Okay. I'm not saying I'm a Trump fan. I hope people don't confuse that. I just think if they, if if there were enough nutters to vote him in, then there's enough nutters left to re-elect him. I have okay. that fear. My first life hack is um, a, an absolute sympathetic. How hard would it be to be a restaurateur in Victoria, in Melbourne? You know they have gone through hell. It's a very tough business. Low margins. They employ a lot of people, but they require turnover. They've some have reopened. A lot have reopened with the twenty-person limit, which really is self-sacrifice because you can't make any money in a restaurant with twenty people, and even with two or three sittings. So they were desperately looking forward to that extending out to fifty. And I know a couple of restaurateurs who said, "Finally, we can aim to make some profit." And of course, that was supposed to be from tomorrow, and also. That was something that they were planning for with staffing and stock levels. Well, now we've had a pullback because, of course, we've had some spikes in cases and they're back to 20 people limit. So for all the people in the food service industry, especially those who own restaurants, uh, feeling for you tonight, it actually is a blow that some will not be able to recover from. All right. Uh, yep. No, I'm with, with you on that. And uh, nice segue to my second one, which is also really on the same topic. Now, I've uh, twice in the last three days, I've had lunch at a local cafe, both lovely establishments uh, in the east of Malvern or close to Chadston. Um, one thing I'm finding incredibly confusing and it's probably a reflection on my age and my um, uh, capabilities with technology to an extent. But the COVID protocols, I can't get my head around. So we, I went uh, with a former colleague of mine, Martin Blake, to one establishment on Friday and we were required to check in. Uh, I have the app, but I haven't had to check in with it. So I wasn't quite sure what to do. There was a barcode up on the thing. Um, I took a picture of the barcode. Nothing seemed to happen. I flashed, put the up, uh, app up on the screen and flashed the app at it. Nothing seemed to happen. And in the end, I just gave up and went in and wrote my name, address and details down in the book because I didn't know what the hell was going on. Anyway, today I went to another cafe um, with a good uh, well, friend and partner of mine and we had a nice brunch and um, there was a barcode on the table and same thing happened. And I, I wanted to work out what I was required to do. So the waitress came over and I said, uh, I'm, I'm flashing my COVID app at it, nothing's happening. She said, oh, that's not the app we're talking about. So it turns out there's a whole range of apps now, and if I use this different app, it would have worked properly. But maybe that's why people are going to stay away, because the protocols are so confusing for me. certainly confuse me. All right, your second one. Okay, my second one is I hate kombucha, and for the second time 
in my life this weekend, I picked up a bottle of what seemed to be a beautifully flavoured flavored soft drink, Finger Limes. I thought, that sounds refreshing, only to find it was kombucha, which has little bits in it, and it contains live, I don't know, live probiotics, or I don't know what's in it, but I don't like it, and I've got to be very careful never again to mistake it for a lovely can or bottle of bubbly, unhealthy soft drink. I don't know, have you ever had kombucha? Yeah, I have. It's oh, like I'm somebody's... sort of ambivalent about it. Really? My, my kombucha yeah. was like somebody, a, a drink that had been left at a party and somebody had um, mistaken it for a um, a spittoon. Oh, lovely. Okay. <laughs> um, I, don't know, I don't know what spittle tastes like. No, just, the, um, just right, the bits my... of lumps in it I didn't like. Oh, lovely. Uh, my final one. Um, now, I haven't been able to use my car and I hasten to add I have not lost my license I am not able to drive at the moment on medical grounds uh, I had a bit of a um, a heart scare the other week so uh, I in fact can't drive until September which is going to be very tough it also means I'm going to be very reliant on Uber now I know there are issues with Uber about uh, exploitation of people um, I know the taxi industry is very unhappy with Uber and this sort of goes against my political colours, Fanny, but I have to say, uh, I hadn't really used Uber until quite recently. I've got to say, every experience I've had with Uber so far has been terrific. Every time I've uh, logged into the app and, and requested one, I've had one there within never more than three or four minutes. The cars are always beautifully clean. Um, the drivers are, are fine. They know where they're going, you know, thanks to GPS. Um and the prices are surprisingly reasonable. So, you know, I've got to say, I understand the industrial relations issues emerging with this, but perhaps that's also a message to the taxi industry to clean up its act because every interaction I've had with Uber so far has been pretty good and it will probably send me broke, but uh, quite happy to use their service for the time being. All right, your last one. Good to know you're an Uber goober. Have, are you, have you ever owned cats? Yeah, a lot of cats. Okay, yeah. I don't speak cat. I was at a friend's place over the weekend. My wife Love and I, cats. My wife and I were at a lovely uh, friend's of ours, Jen and Steve, and they've got a cat. What does it mean when a cat turns away from you, lifts its tail up and shows you its rear orifice, which this cat kept doing uh, to me? Yeah, I think it's a sign of um, invitation for <laughs> what, know, open, friendship. Open wide, come inside. <laughs> yeah. I, it kept doing it to me. It was very off-putting. It was like the brown-eyed wink of a of a knowing animal that I didn't quite know what it was. Was that cat coming on to me? It, are you sure it wasn't just uh, rubbing? What they tend to do is rub up against your leg, and it wasn't doing that and turning around? Yes, because... it was doing that and then lifting its tail okay. up and showing me its pussy's bow. Well, I think that was an unintentional byproduct of the rubbing against the leg. They, they rub against your leg, and cats you know particularly well that are your cats, uh, and I love this one, they actually headbutt you. You can butt heads with them as a sign of affection. I think cats are great. I love them. And, look, I love dogs as well, but uh, I'm one of that rare breed, a, a uh, bi, what are you? <laughs> a bi- you're you're a bi- bipartisan pet owner? I am, I am. So I, um, I just thought the cat knew that I was a darts aficionado and kept showing me its bullseye. Okay, very, very odd. Very good. 
All right, there is life hacks for this week. Uh, big, big show this one, Fanny. I reckon we should finish off with a good rant. Rant, rant, rant. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, ready to go. I've got a footy flavoured one, Fanny, coming off the back of TV coverage. Yes, it's that, uh, it's that go to topic about coverage of footy on TV. Will you count me in? Ah, uh, one, two, three. I'm pissed off with commentators trying to make strawberry jam out of you-know-what, Finey. You'd think we'd be used to it, but these guys just keep raising... No, hang on, I mean lowering the bar. It's got to the point now that circus ringmaster would be a more appropriate description of the role and commentator. Friday night's Bulldogs-GWS game was a good case in point. Well done to the doggies. It was a really good win. But as a spectacle, I think just about everyone would agree this game was a bit of a turkey. Well, everyone except the guys up in the commentary box and back in the studio, obviously, because they were working overtime to dress up a game in which five goals have been scored to half-time as the greatest drama since BT's dramatic and highly controversial pre-game confrontation with Tom Brown about player wages, a story for the ages. See, even I'm doing it now. My favourite part on Friday Night Finding was when the Fox footy coverage crossed back to the huge mammoth and outstanding Friday Night panel hosted by that master of understatement, Mr Edward Maguire. Those who weren't already asleep were stirred from their near slumber by the following pronouncement from Ed. Wow, what a first half. That was amazing. Really, Ed? I mean, if that was amazing, are there actually the words in the English vocabulary to describe a game like the 1989 Grand Final? or Carlton's comeback against Collingwood in 1970. Not that BT, Bruce and co were any better during the actual call on Channel 7, saving their best Ringling Brothers circus impersonation, not for any actual football, but those pretty pissy little push and shoves going on in between. And while we're on unjustified height, for God's sake, just because a game is in a primetime TV slot on a Friday night doesn't mean it needs an intro to a telecast like Quo Vardis on Speed. You know those ones I'm talking about with the suitably grave tones of the guy who did the voiceovers to the man from Snowy River. Tonight, it happens. It's all on the line in the clash between one club no one cares about at all and another which sits 16th on the ladder and has had its ass kicked every week this season. This is Judgment Day. (laughs) No, it's not. No, it's not. It's just one more game in the schedule of, well, who knows exactly how many more, but 150-odd at least. It could be okay, but pumping the absolute bejesus out of it isn't going to suck too many people in when they can see with their own eyes. Listen, fellas, I don't know if you noticed, but the world has changed a bit over the last few months. People have reprioritised their lives. I think they're probably also less susceptible to spin. We know this is a difficult and unusual season. We know games are a bit flatter with our crowds. We're not idiots. So how about giving us credit for having the capacity to work out that in 150-odd games, not all of them are going to be great and actually call a poor game a poor game. The fans of a teams aren't going to turn off because it's not aesthetically pleasing and the rest of us are capable of deciding for ourselves whether or not to keep watching, regardless of whether the guy in the top hat and tails on the mic is trying to sell us two kids pulling at each other's jumpers like it's an elephant completing a high-wire trapeze act. That was very good, very humorous, well-constructed. You're a strange man, Seymour, but you do steam a good ham. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. I'm pissed off, Rowan. I'm pissed off with Collingwood. 
I'm pissed off that their old players are getting better, not worse. What is Pendlebury on? Uh, other than a very good wage and Andrew's hamburgers and uh, the second floor of a beautiful Nick Spartel's built house. He's also on cloud nine. The bloke, he just doesn't diminish. And as for Steele Sidebottom, will somebody sometime at the St Gilda Football Club realise that if you give him the ball, you're dead in the water? They get older, St Gilda get less, less aware of their skills. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got the father-son rule. Well, my Saints have really flourished with father-son. We've got a little bit of Serikowski, I think a bit of Chad Davis, and about three and a half minutes of Bailey Rice. That's it. They've got three guys play on the weekend that are going to be part of that club, causing damage, reminding older fans of their magnificent fathers when I'm pushing up daisies. Two Browns and a Dacos. Crikey, that's good breeding. And in between, they pick up players like Noble at the mid-season draft and my check from Port Melbourne that are good value, let me tell you what. Dugowie's a goer, Elliot's a thorn in our side, Stevenson's quicker than, goes quicker than last week's pay, their midfield doesn't even have Trelaw, Adams is a beauty, their defence is, well, the only thing their defence can't do is decide on their hair colour. Everything else about Collingwood's backline is near perfect. I'm pissed off, Rowan. I'm pissed off that they're good. I'm pissed off my team's not as good. I'm not pissed off that... Most of their crowd is missing it. That's some sort of solace. But I'm pissed off Eddie was there to enjoy the whole thing. Pissed off! I'm pissed off that you're stealing my pissed offs. Oh, that was a pissed off day for me. Oh, by the way, one thing on the commentary, mate. Did you watch the North Melbourne-Sydney game? First quarter in the First quarter in the prelude to the 1.30 start on Saturday? I think it was Jordan Lewis yeah. that four times referred, and I counted it, oh, four I, times. I had night. Tonight. At night. I had to yeah. look out. I had to look well, out. Said, I had to look outside. He said that. He said that four times. Four the game. separate yeah, times tonight. I know. I, I know. thought shit. I I've know. slept maybe, in. I've slept in again. Maybe he needs some new spectacles. All right. Uh, Great that show, does mate. It for this edition, uh, quick plug for the sponsors. Finey. Don't have to. I did it during me rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, do it again anyway. Andrew's hamburgers. Pendles loves them at one forty-four Bridport Street, Albert Park, and a Pendles house is a good house. It's Nick Spartel's. West Point Properties. And thanks to our other great sponsors. That's you listeners out there. Please jump on our Footyology Patreon page and sign up and help us keep this operation going. Look out for Footyology Final Siren on Twitter following the footy Thursday and Friday night. And we will speak to you again on this Footyology podcast in the preview of Round 4 on Thursday. We'll see you then.